been trying to uh, watch the clock a little bit here this morning. I realize there's a, a dinner in several different places today, and maybe if you're not here or with uh, uh, the widows in another location, you might have some other plans for your dinner today. And uh, after today's sermon, you might not want to eat at all because it's on gluttony. <laughs> so, if you don't mind me spilling into dinner time, it won't make a difference. You're not going to be hungry. Um, no, we're in Galatians 5. Galatians 5, uh, we're into verse 21, and I'm thankful for that because we're very near the end of this list. And it's been a very uncomfortable list to walk through. I've been using the motif of a cemetery in my description of these particular sins because uh, they all lead to death and the overall picture is that of an internal battlefield and these are the things that are left behind Uh, it's not a pretty picture at all but here I'm going to read verse 19 20 and 21 Galatians 5, 19, 20, and 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty heavy section. But that's where we're going to spend our time, especially in verse number 21 there. Uh, The words are drunkenness and carousing and things like these. I think we need help before we start. So let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you today. Your word is opened up in front of us. I trust and I pray that you prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us. We know, Lord, that any work that you do in our hearts, do in our lives, is because you're leading us into the path of righteousness and you want us to be like Christ. That's what we want to be too. So, Lord, help us, because our will is going to resist. Our, our flesh is going to rebel. And we're going to fight as we do so often, when our very condition is revealed before you and it's revealed before us. So help us today, Lord. We certainly need your help. May your Holy Spirit have his way in our hearts, in our lives. And when we leave today, may we be different people because we have spent time with you. Help us today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are four different parts of this passage. I I picture this little section here especially as the dark end of the cemetery. Um, We've had the sins of lust, which were primarily in verse number 19, as you can see. And there were dirty tombstones. And we saw the sins of idolatry and witchcraft, which I called the creepy tombstones. And into verse number 20 as well, the sins of temper which are tragic tombstones. And today in verse number 21, I call it the sins of appetite. The sins of appetite. uh, Controlling tombstones. 
in the text that you were following today as I read through that, you might have found some other words than the ones I read. The New American Standard Version uses the word drunkenness and carousing. And there's a whole thesaurus of words that come from such uh, Greek words themselves. Uh, the NIV is really ugly <laughs> in its choice of words. It uses drunkenness and orgies. The King James, and if you're carrying your Latin Vulgate with you, you'll find also the words murder and drunkenness and the word revelings in there. But murder is added there in the King James Version. It's also added in the Latin Vulgate, which is kind of interesting. And people say, well, why does that happen? Well, there's two predominant Greek texts that they pull translations from. And if they pull from this one, it follows this way. They pull from this one, it follows that way. And that's generally the way to explain it and just say, okay, I get it, and just go on. That's all we have to do about that. But on the one side, they have two words. And the two words are intoxication and rioting. And that's where we get such words as drunkenness and carousing. Now, on the other text that comes out, it adds one other word to it, it's a word that Latin translates as homicide. It is a word for slaying or slaughtering. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But I found it very interesting. All the way back to the 1500s, when English texts were being written for the first time, they're starting to see these words in front of them. And this is what was interesting. Both the Bishop's Bible, and that was a long, long time ago in the 1500s, and the Geneva Bible back in the 1500s, inserted one word in the middle of all of that that was not in either Greek text. There was the word gluttony. They put the word gluttony in there. And the reason they did that was not because they were changing the text. They were interpreting the text. They were playing the role of the commentator when they put down that word gluttony because it spelled out all of those. Believe it or not, all three of those are under that category. The sins of appetite. That's what we're going to look at here today. And it could be very easy to bog down in citing the differences between these texts and all that. And I, I'm one who loves word studies. I find them fascinating. And to walk through this is, is great, but I also find it very troubling. <laughs> troubling because in this context, the deeds of the flesh are described, and they're heavy, and they're ugly, and they're destructive. Now, let's not forget, Satan is described as a roaring lion, isn't he? And he roams about seeking someone to devour. That's not to give you a bad day. That's to destroy you. And these are some of the tools that he uses that, that comes really in big supply our way. None of these things in verse 19, 20, or 21, not one thing on this list will profit us, will edify us, or even satisfy us. They're not meant to. They're meant to destroy us. All right, you got your ears perked now, don't you? The term gluttony fits the picture very well for the words that are in verse 21. 
drunkenness, carousing, and even add murder to that. The Latin word for gluttony is it's an onomatopoeia. You know what an onomatopoeia is, right? It's where a word sounds like you should. Like the word buzz is an onomatopoeia because it you hear a B and it goes buzz and we spell it like that. And and the word for gluttony comes from glut, 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 glut. And that's exactly the picture. It means to gulp down something. It means to swallow it. Uh, an overindulgence, an overconsumption, and yes, it could include food. But you know it means more than that. It could be food, it could be drink, it could be even things that people wear. That's, that's one of the things most commentators went to back in the 1700s and 1800s. They, they brought up the, the way people were dressing in that era. And they considered that a form of gluttony. The, the wealthy and the, the uh, abundance uh, of waste and, and wealth that went into even their clothing. But that was just the way they saw it in their day and age. I, I think we could bring up all kinds of other pictures here that people invest so much in that it sounds like glut, glut, glut every time they go after it. It's called, by, by another definition, a habitual greed and an excess. Usually it's in eating. But I'm going to emphasize those two words, greed and excess. Because they, they fit into this picture. And even Spurgeon said this back in the 1800s. It's not merely what you may drink to excess, but that you may eat to excess, or clothe your body too sumptuously, or that it may be some other spending of money upon your own gratification that is not according to sober living. Those are typical comments that we would find related to this word. But here in verse number 21, we see three, well, two, and then the one I'll add, drunkenness and carousing, murders, and things like these. Now, before we go into the understanding of what those three individual things are and how they relate to the big picture, let's take one big step back. I think it's important that we do this so we get the full understanding of what we're dealing with. This is an internal battlefield. This is going on. The conflict within us. The desire of the flesh. And we all know that too well. And the Holy Spirit. And His control of our behavior and our thinking. The intensity of this battle is so great that we're given a mandate about it. A mandate. Not an option. <laughs> not a suggestion. But as verse 16 says, walk by the Spirit. That's an imperative in the Greek. It is not for us to question. It is a statement. It is an expectation. It is a command. Walk by the Spirit. That's our mandate. As believers, is that a Sunday morning only thing? No, it's not. And we all know that, don't we? It's a mandate. It's meant to be the way we walk. And should we be obedient to this command, the result will be that we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. If we are not obedient to this command, we will carry out the desire of the flesh. 
the passage doesn't allow a middle place for us to stand and say, well, it's neutral ground on this battlefield. There is no neutral ground on the battlefield. Right? There is none. And that's what we're looking at as we walk through this passage. And I've emphasized this. I do it again. The only remedy for the flesh is walking by the Spirit. Did you hear it that time? Just to say it again. The only remedy for the flesh is walking by the Spirit. You see... In our day and age, we've had the three-step plans and the five-step plans and the 21-step plans. And, and we, we sit together and we talk about different things, plans and programs, or try these pills or use this exercise program. And we come up with all kinds of alternatives. The world says, try this, try this, try this, try this, to solve our problems. Have you noticed? Understand this, though. The world does not have the capabilities or the wisdom or the will to overcome the flesh. It walks with that flesh. Anything or anyone not driven by the Holy Spirit cannot compete with the flesh. Cannot. All it can do is cooperate with the flesh. It may... There's some programs and some ideas and some suggestions may move you from one fleshly thing to another fleshly thing and say, well, there's your solution. It's like rearranging your garage and never taking anything out the door. This is simple spiritual math, and I call it that. Fleshly ways are still fleshly ways. You can't replace a fleshly way with another fleshly way. Here's what A.C. Dixon said many years ago, and I love this quote. He says, when we rely on organization, we get what organization can do. And when we rely on education, we get what education can do. And when we rely on eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely on the Holy Spirit, we get what God can do. That's different. You see, even as a believer in Christ, one who possesses the Holy Spirit of God within us, if we're not walking by that Spirit, we are walking by the flesh. This whole passage is directed to the believer. Do you know that? This isn't written to the other world. It's not uncommon to find an unbeliever acting like an unbeliever. But what shouldn't be is that the believer acts like the unbeliever. So very likely, as Paul's writing these things, he's got these Galatians in his mind because he's observed this very thing. He actually said in verse 15 about if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. They already had the flesh in full motion. And as Paul starts to write this, he he probably left them exceedingly uncomfortable, because we know that feeling too, as we go through the same passage. These things reveal the path we journey on. They reveal the path we journey on. I know we prefer to hide these things from the view of others, don't we? Kind of like those who, who go about clearing their history button on their computer. 
So people don't know how they search or what their activities are. You see, the, the conviction is very real. But I want to tell you something that, that maybe you won't hear other places. Conviction is good. Oh, I know it hurts. <laughs> it's good. You know what conviction says? It says that God is not going to leave you there. He loves you too much to let you just enjoy what you're doing. He convicts. And he convicts because he wants you to be right with him. That's why he disciplines. As a father disciplines his child. What is that? Is that not a picture of love? Next time you start to feel this conviction come on heavy, maybe just right in the next two or three minutes when we get into the passage, remember it's because God loves you that he has given this to us. See, the Holy Spirit is a master convictor. He's a master. It's his task to lead us to the, to the Father, to lead us from the flesh, and to make us like Christ. That's his job. Ours is not to resist his leading, but to walk beside him. So we move into this section of this cemetery here, uh, the place where control is king. It may seem, reading these words, drunkenness, carousings, murders, things like that, it seems to reflect it's our desire to control these kind of things, but in reality, we are being controlled by these things. Now, it's not going to be hard for me to describe this, and even I doubt that I have to go into great detail to describe them to you. Bring up drunkenness, for example. Intoxication. It's not a matter of the drink, but the control of the drink is what stands in this situation here. A good example is in Ephesians chapter number Five. There's a little passage here, verse 15 through verse number 18. Let's take a look at that for a minute. And notice how similar it is to the exact picture we're studying in Galatians. Galatians or Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 18. Therefore, he says, be careful how you walk. Ooh, interesting choice of words. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You say, well, what's the will of the Lord? Walking carefully, being wise, understanding. That's the will of the Lord. And verse 18. It's not just randomly thrown into the passage. It goes with it all. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That's an interesting word. It's the idea of degeneracy. Degeneracy. When something generates, it gets, it either comes to life or it gets bigger or it grows. It's generating something. Degeneration is backwards to that. It's going down. It's, it's withering. It's falling apart. It's, it's, uh, heading the wrong way. That's dissipation. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled, filled, that's the word for controlled, by the Spirit. One of these will control you, in verse 18, is the concept here. Wine can control you. 
the spirit should control you. One of my favorite quotes, I've got a handful of quotes I really enjoy, but this one I, I think says an awful lot, and it's so simple. It says, whatever you're filled with will spill out when you're bumped. Whatever you're filled with will spill out when you're bumped. We're quite familiar with the actions of one who is controlled by drink. Oh, we've seen it. Sometimes we even laugh at it. When we see it on, on a television screen, we think it's kind of a cute or funny thing. But there's a gluttony in that, do you see? There's a greed for that. There, there is an unsatisfied desire seeking to fill more and more and more. A greed that leads to ungodly deeds. That's the first picture. The second one is that word carousing, revelings, uh, ugly little terms. Literally, in the Greek, it means a village festival. You say, well, that sounds harmless. <laughs> no, not, not in the way at all. This is how it's actually defined by Thayer in his Greek definitions. He says, revelings is, a, is from kamas, which refers to a nocturnal and riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows who, after supper, parade through the street with torches and music in honor of Bacchus. Bacchus is the god of wine. Or some other deity. And they sing and they play before the houses of their male and female friends, hence used generally a feast and drinking parties. They are protected or protracted till late at night and indulge in revel revelry. It's an out-of-control type of party. There, there's an excess there. There's a greed there in that concept. A riotous crowd is never satisfied. How often have we seen that in the news? A riotous crowd is never satisfied. They pursue more and more the desire to gratify. And in that, they're controlled by that fleshly way. Paul spoke of a group like this in the book of Philippians. There's an interesting passage in chapter 3. Philippians 3, verse 17, 18, and 19. This is his description. Now, Paul's saying in this passage, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And right in the middle of it, he hits us with this very sour note. But it's in verse 17, 18, and 19. Brethren, Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. I think, I think it's the King James that reads, whose God is their belly. Am I right? Every time I read that, I think of that statue of Buddha. I don't know why. Why does that always come to my mind when I think of that? Whose God is their belly. Would you like to worship a belly? I mean, really. That just sounds, eh, Right? Whose God is their appetite. That, boy, that says it, doesn't it? That says it. There's gluttony in that. A greed 
for more that is never satisfied. They actually come to the point of worship. Sir God. Now I add the third, because I, I'm going to follow through with the other Greek text and what you have in your King James or your Latin Vulgate you carry today. Murders. Homicide. It seems kind of out of place, I think, uh, because we've already dealt with the sins of the temper. We saw that in verse 20, and those words were enmities and strife and there's, well, there's jealousy in that too, but there's outbursts of anger and there's disputes and there's dissensions and there's factions and there's envy. And all of that is pretty hostile in every single way. And you say, well, why don't we just lump murder in with that? Well, here's where I think it stands separately. This murder that he's referring to here fits the picture of excess and greed. I'll tell you why. It comes from the idea to slay or to slaughter. Now, obviously, dead is dead. But slaughter is excessive. The snake is on the road and you run over it one time. You've killed the snake. You put it in reverse and back over the snake a second time, and then put it in forward and go back over it a third time, and put it in reverse and go back over it a fourth time, and then you start to smile. You've got this word. You see? There's an excess in it. Why? Why? Because you're not satisfied with that thing being dead. You want it really dead. And you're going to keep beating the thing until you're sure that it's, thoroughly satisfying to you that you have expelled all of your wrath on that thing. It lost feeling long time ago, folks. But you can't stop. You see the picture? That's a gluttony, too. That's a gluttony, too. It's not satisfied. You want a picture of this? It's not good. But it speaks of Cain and Abel. And it's brought up in the book of John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, where it says, Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. That word slew means butchered. That's not merely killed him. He butchered his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? The motivation was this. Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. His deeds were evil. He butchered his brother. See, evil deeds, fleshly deeds, are not harmless, are they? They're not harmless in any course of the day. They're not without victims. It's not uncommon for us to read of some intoxicated driver that then caused accidents and left victims all over the place. It's not uncommon for us to read of a riotous crowd that left behind victims all over the place. It's also true of murder victims, isn't it? These are controlling sins that drive the doer of them into deeper and deeper paths of the flesh. I wonder if that's why it's toward the end of the list. Because if we're working through some sort of uh, grades 
of what the flesh can do. These ones really, really are out of our control. That's the whole point I want you to see. You are being controlled. Either by the flesh or by the spirit. You're not in control. You're not in control. Now, my goal here is not to be psychological. I I don't even pretend to go that way. But I just speak what the text is saying. I, I share this with you. Because Paul says, hey, you know what? This list can go on and on and on. He says, and things like these. I think that's a merciful thing he did. Because I don't know if I want to go down the rest of the list that's possible here. Have you ever found this interesting? Where scripture tells us that whatever we do, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do all to the glory of God. You've read that before, haven't you? It's interesting that we could take that very thing that God has created for us that we should be thankful for and we turn it into the opportunity for the flesh. We use those very same things he's given to us to gratify ourselves and not to give him praise and not to give him thanks. That's what pride will do every single time. It will do this because it's willing to promote itself. The issue of the flesh really is a self-focus. It's a self-focus. When left to themselves, it always leads down this dangerous path, a path where many victims appear. And so this list that we've been working through, it's the evident work of the flesh. The flesh has its way. These are the results. So, I'm not going to leave you there. When I read these things, I, I say, Lord, give us something. Get us out of this spot. And he says, yes, go back to what I said in the first place. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit, and you will not. You see it? You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, he says. Here's how I'm going to build you up this morning. To walk is a consistent, continuous thing. It's a walk, folks. It's a walk. When you walk with him... You learn to obey Him. When you walk with Him, you learn to trust His leadership. When you walk with Him, you're in fellowship with Him. When you walk with Him, you're seeking His direction. He pulls you this way, He pulls you that way. You walk with Him. When you walk with Him, you learn how He works. When you walk with Him, you have confidence in what He's doing. Yes, it is a submission, isn't it? To walk by the Spirit, you submit yourself to Him. In just a few moments, Steve is going to come up here and lead us in a song. And and the words are not meant just to be a closing song that we're going to look at and say, okay, we're done with the service. But I want you to consider very seriously the words of the song we're about to sing. It says, I surrender all. Are we there? Are we ready to sing such words? In light of all that God has for us, and the beauty of it all, why would we settle for this list?
when he has so much in store for those who follow his way. Heavenly Father, we need you. We so desperately need you. Thank you that you are clear. You are right to the point. You you touch on the hard spots, the painful spots. You do all that for us because you love us. What kind of response can we have to a God like you? It's easy for us to resist. It's easy for us to turn the other way. But to say the words, I surrender. I surrender all. Those are the words that I hope come from our heart. Not just from our lips. Lord, bring us to understand today that we may walk with the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.